podcast hosted by two idiots who think they know everything about mysteries, conspiracies, and strange phenomena. I'm your host, Douglas Green, uh, sitting here with the other host, whom I live with, uh, Jackson R. Husting. Um, and today, uh, I believe we're on schedule. Have we started doing Wednesday recording? <laughs> we we record a, uh, every week, and every that's week. as far as we go. We're, we don't really have a schedule. No. But anyways. Um, a lot of stuff to cover today before the yeah, episode there, even begins. Is there, is there a lot of news? Yes! We got an update on Epstein involving Slick Willie, oh. as everyone knows. Well, didn't we talk about the Clintons last week? <laughs> the Clintons are always in the news because they're shitty people. you you got to be careful. About. They are. So, this is dated. Well, it came out last week, August 18th, 2016 to be exact. I think everyone knows this by now who's a listener of us and a, a follower of the Epstein trial and a hater of uh, bad people in general. Uh, gas guzzling Maxwell. New photos. Yeah. Well, they were new. Emerged of uh, Epstein getting a special massage from one of Epstein's victims. What? Her name's Shantae Davis. She was in the documentary, Epstein, Filthy Rich, I believe is what it was called. Was this picture in the documentary, or was it a... Uh... No, this picture just came out. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, and in the picture, he's clearly very excited about getting, uh, like, uh, smiling about getting a massage oh. <laughs> um, were... after a flight on Lolita Express, which is Epstein's personal, or uh-huh. was, personal, rest in hell, his uh-huh. personal hell. jet. And, um, yeah. I think it just adds more to the idea that Slick Willie is denying any involvement or anything ever happening around Epstein when he's clearly getting a massage from someone who's clearly far younger than he or Epstein at the time. I believe at the time he is, this photo's taken, um, oh gosh, where did it say? It just said his age. I think he's 56. Jeez. Mm-hmm. And Slick I think this is the Africa trip. Who, which is like the a trip he took with? It was him, K- Epstein, and um, Chris Tucker, which is a weird third person to have. Yeah. But yeah, her name's Shantae Davis. Um, if you Google Shantae Davis, Bill Clinton, Slick Willie, um, it'll come up. Slick Willie, yeah. nasty man. Which I just thought was, you know, even you know more updates about the Epstein thing. Second thing all of our numbers or all of our episodes are now numbered there's not a single episode that is not numbered were they not already numbered Mm-mm. like it'd be like there'd be an episode and then they'd be like something like throwback or bonus oh, or august right. update oh, okay. but I now that. i noticed that every single podcast is updated so the true number of podcasts we have will always be attached like this is so our 70, 70 73rd episode is it mm-hmm. yeah wow yes we gotta do something big for 100 That'll probably be in like two years, depending on, yeah, or 75. It won't be in two years. Yeah, we get the pace. Two, two <laughs> Okay, if we record every week, within, it would be probably up to six months. If we record every week, because th- there's 52 weeks. In yeah, two. I know, I know. All right, third thing. Uh-huh. You did an episode a couple weeks back. I did. Specifically, the episode entitled, sorry, I need to find it. 
Black Helicopter Theory by Douglas. Oh, okay. Is this on July nineteenth? Right. Wow, yeah, that I was in July. Dawson, our 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 longtime listener, our biggest supporter, besides probably God. <laughs> um, he has a theory about the black. Oh, there it is, Doobie and Dawson. About the what? They'll they'll know what I'm talking about. Hello, uh, it's Jackson here. Um, if you're listening to this, it means um, you're listening to a an updated portion of our 73rd episode. Um, uh, so basically, in the original recording, um, after that little cut you just heard, I went over a good friend and longtime fans of ours theory, and it. As I looked back on it, the way we handled the reading and presentation of the theory and everything like that was not a. It was not a a, a rep- It was not a, a portrayal or a, a reiteration of how we would like to handle stuff submitted by our fans because you know they they're interested enough in this topic that we go over that they really want to talk to us about it. And in the past we've had people interact with us about it and we held them to a different stand. We, 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 we treated their material better than we've had treated, um, the theory I'm about to read. And that was on me. I take full responsibility. I did not read it properly. I did not go over it properly. It was, it was not what, I would like night swims to be. I it was it was not the way I wanted to go about it. It was not the way I wanted to go about it looking about it, but in the moment I didn't I didn't think anything of it. But as I as I listened back to it yesterday and everything, I I realized the that the the wrong the wrongfulness of how we handled it. So, um, I'd like to properly read the theory and go over it a little bit, and then you'll go into the third thing I had before uh, my main topic. So, um, I don't really remember all what you just heard, but yeah, so it's the black helicopter theory, and this is from the perspective of Dawson, who is one of our oldest fans, and so... Uh, yeah, as I stated, I, 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 I didn't like the way we we treated his theory or we treated him as a listener, and I, I wanted to correct this, and so I'm going to go over it right now. So, and it, he, he, he wrote it to me. He took the time to type it all out, so I'm just going to read it as he wrote it and um, go over that. So, the black helicopter theory. So when y'all went over the black helicopters... There was a section on cow mutilation at a ranch where the farmers saw the helicopters and Douglas said that he thinks the helicopters are the government or men in black coming in and doing it, which I believe is partly true. So before this, the farmer said the livestock was scared and there were huge gusts of winds. So in my theory, it would make sense if aliens possibly abducted a cow or two or came down to do an experiment of some sort on the biological makeup of it for whatever reason and in doing so, possibly altered its biology or left a microscopic chip of sort to collect data or some other reason. 
This is where the men in black come into play, because it would make more sense to do these mutilations in order to find the something aliens left instead of just mutilating random cows. Because if that's the case, they could just go out and buy some. So it's possible that this organization has a way to either be alerted where aliens have visited Earth, or have a device that can pinpoint alien technology to an extent. So say they have this device almost like a radar that can detect traces of extraterrestrial biology or technology. They follow this radar to this farm recently visited by these beings, and it leads them to a herd of cattle. It's likely that they had to inspect whatever cows are in this group to figure out which ones had been tampered with. In the particular case, multiple cows had been mutilated in a way that is surgical, and one cow had been steam cleaned, or whatever term Doug used for it, where the bones were clean and white, and the cow was drained of any blood and organs removed. Ste deep cleaned, maybe? I still don't remember. Stripped clean, maybe? We'll do strip cleaned. So I think the men in black had to search the cows in the group to see which one had been altered or chipped, and the one they found had that specific operation done to it to leave no traces and maybe collect evidence to test. So if you weren't following along, and hopefully I'm interpreting this right, basically what he's saying his theory is, is... The mutilations were not alien, but were human. The helicopters were human, and they they were taking the cows because, um, to go a little bit off my own, Stephen, oh God, that's, sorry, to go a little bit off um, my own thought, um, as I've stated before, and our good friend Stephen Greer has stated before, um, the U.S. government, specifically, the, I guess humans in general, because it could be all over the world, um, have had alien technology for decades, you know, it, for, I think probably Roswell, I don't even think Roswell was the first, I think it's just the most famous, from what I can remember, but what he's saying is, the cows are just, you know, experimented on, they're perfectly harmed, but the men in black take this technology that the aliens per put in these cows, and just without any regard for their life, just take out whatever technology they put in and just take it wherever they go. And so that makes the theory a lot more interesting. Personally, I don't remember all that I believe the black helicopter theory was, but it wasn't that. If it was, I obviously would be and be like, oh, yeah, Dawson, that's my theory. He also wouldn't have said that. So I like that theory a lot because I'm also a big proponent of aliens and whatnot. So I like to I like to always try and fit aliens in whenever I can. And the men in black is also a great topic that um, I'm going to do hopefully in the future. But yeah, that was that was Dawson's theory. Um, so thank you for taking the time to do that. Um, I know you didn't have to, and I appreciate the time um, you took into writing that. I hope I did it um, better this time than I did the last one, and um, I just wanted to say that, once again, I am truly and 100% at fault and sorry for the way uh, I went about it the first time around, and I hope that this version um, did it better. Uh, in 100% honesty, I like it a lot. Obviously, as I said, I, aliens are always a big, big topic for me. 
And so uh, that was a very good theory. And I appreciate the fact that someone that listens to our podcast um, wanted to do theory, wanted to do a theory about it. And um, I hope that this rendition kind of encouraged others uh, to do it. So I don't want to talk anymore and um, make like a whole like speech and try and sound like I'm sound looking for forgiveness or anything like that. <laughs> that was awkward. But um, uh, I'll just continue with the regular podcast. Um, you're going to go over uh, the third thing I had before my main topic, which is a murder. Okay, bye. Yeah, this is a big one. This is something... That his that I wanna I wanna give a thanks to a, one Dubert for bringing this to attention. Dubert Dubert Do I believe is the full yeah name. I, to bring this to my attention. Um, on August twenty sixth. No. Um, Yesterday. No no no. Okay, so not August twenty sixth. Today. That's today. Is yeah. Hold on hold on. She texted me about it. Let me find the 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 day. Oh, okay. So, what day was this? Doobie text you. Hold on, shut up. How does she text you? Shut up. Oh, okay. So Friday on the twenty-first, the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo. Do you know who I'm talking about? I've heard that. I've heard Golden State Killer. Convicted of over a hundred robberies, fifty-something rapes, and I think like thirteen murders. Over fifty rapes, over a hundred twenty burger, burg. <laughs> burglaries and 13 murders was convicted for life in prison. Really? Yes. Now, what makes this case so interesting? You may be asking. I am asking. What makes this case so interesting? Thank you. It's the fact that he was not caught. A a majority of his crimes took place um, between 1973 and 1986. He himself was not captured until... Drumroll. Or charged. 2018. Why are you asking this? Well, during the decades-long investigation, several suspects were cleared through DNA evidence, alibi, or other investigative methods. In 2001, after DNA testing indicated the East Area Rapist, that's what is his name, Golden State Killer, East Area Rapist, and the original Night Stalker, um, in reference to Richard Ramirez, who is known as the Night Stalker, um, were the same person. After DNA tested, they were both the same person. Mm -hmm. The acronyms E-A-R-O-N-S came into use. East Area Rapist, original yeah, Night Stalker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The case was a factor in the establishment of California's DNA database, which collects DNA from all accused and convicted felons in California, and has been called second only to Virginia's ineffectiveness in solving cold cases. More states should, I don't know, maybe use this, you know? Uh, to heighten awareness of this case, crime writer Michelle McNamara coined the name Golden State Killer in early 2013. So, the FBI and local law enforcement agencies held a news conference on July on June 15, 2016 to announce a renewed nationwide effort offering a $50,000 reward for his capture. On the 24th of April, 2018, authorities charged 72-year-old D'Angelo, uh, his name is Joseph D'Angelo, mm-hmm. with eight counts of first-degree murder based upon DNA evidence. Investigators had identified members of D'Angelo's family through forensic genetic genealogy. This was also the first announcement connecting the Vesalia ransacker crimes to D'Angelo. Owing to California's statute of limitations on pre-2017 rape cases, D'Angelo could not be charged with the rapes, but he was charged in August 2018 with 13 related kidnapping and abduction attempts. On June 29, 2020, he pleaded guilty to multiple counts of murder and kidnapping, 
as part of a plea bargain which spared him the death penalty. D'Angelo also admitted to numerous crimes he had not been formally charged with, including rapes. On August 21st, 2020, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. What makes this interesting is that he was a former police officer during this time. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's the perfect disguise. And he had he had three different names. Um, East Era Rapist, mm-hmm. Vesalia Ransacker, mm-hmm. and Original Night Stalker. And they didn't realize that was all the same person until much, much later. Uh, but he is finally put away behind bars. What is interesting as well is in the court, in court, he would always show up in a wheelchair, but recently, like today or yesterday, jail footage emerged of him being able to like fully walk around and do exercises in his cell. So he is still manipulating and lying to people to this day. The old ball sack of shit. He looks like a ball sack. That's why I said that. I've, yeah, I need to see a picture of him. Oh, I didn't show you a picture of him. I will judge this ball sack and deem him fit to be called ball sack. Holy crap. Oh, I've seen him. Yeah. He does look like a ball sack. He's only five foot ten. Short little midget. Ooh. Okay, so this is interesting. Hold on. I wonder if... Can I not see... He, he was married to someone in, from 1973 till 2019. So I'm wondering if she divorced him after all this was released. Yeah, he went by I would hope so. Vesalia Ransacker, East Area Rapist, East Side Rapist, East Bay Rapist, Diamond Knot Killer, Night Stalker, Original Night Stalker, Erins, East Area Rapist, Original Night Stalker, and the Golden State Killer. Most notably the Golden State Killer because his area, it, um, it covered Sa- San Joaquin Valley, Sacramento area, Contra Costa County, Stockton, and Modesto, Santa Barbara, Ventura, and Orange County. He is believed to have taunted and threatened both victims and police in obscene phone calls and possibly written communications. Huh. This guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of Oh, fun fact too. about him. He's a non-secretor. Which means his sperm does not contain blood group antigens. That's uh, that's part of his suspect profile. I thought that meant he didn't poop. I don't know. A non-others oh, <laughs> secretor status that refers to the presence or absence of water-soluble ABO blood group antigens in a person's bodily fluids. Just any fluids? Yeah, I guess so. Huh. Wait, so people who see, secrete these antigens are referred to as secretors, while people who do not are termed non-secretors. Is that like a the difference? I'm kind of curious. Prevalence. Around approximately 80% of Caucasians are secreted. This, we're getting off topic. <laughs> I don't want to talk about secretions. No, that was, that's an uncomfortable <laughs> word. Okay, but yes, that is the last bit. It's very interesting. As we are a podcast like this, where we deal with stuff involving Histories. unsolved murders. Yes. You know, if this podcast was around a couple years ago before 2018, we would have covered him probably at some point. But well, unfortunately, well not unfortunately, fortunately, he was captured and put behind bars. Well, his little ass will rot. It'll turn into a dry, shriveled up ball sack. Yes. So. This podcast was around before 2018. It just wasn't a mysteries, conspiracies, and strange phenomenon. Oh, that's true. So. As you know, um, when I. God, William. Oh, you want to hear what William's listening to on um, Spotify right now? <laughs> oh, God. Hold on. This is what he's listening to. Have you go? I know, I know. Run around town with your friends and 
I actually like this artist, so I can't <laughs> shit on it? It's the Kid Leroy. I've never Dude, heard he's of crazy. It's he's like Leroy? this. No, it's the Kid Leroy. He's the 17-year-old kid from Australia, and he already has like 13 million monthly listeners. And he opened for Juice World when he was alive touring Australia. It's crazy. But, okay, so besides the point. So if you recall, you know, take a, a trip down memory lane back to oh, God damn it, William. I'm trying to look on the spot. Okay. To July 26th. I believe I talked about like, no, no, not no, not McMinnville, July yes, 12th. Yes, yes. I, I said during the haunted series. Yes, yes, yes. I said I would kind of start a sort of mini series about aliens, where all my topics from here on out were going to be about aliens. To a truth, I have held that as I did McMinnville, aliens. Yes. Then you did Black Helicopter. Then I did on current events talk yes. about more alien stuff. Yes. Then it was an uncovered, and the last one was you, which was yes. a Hollow Moon. Yeah. Something it was, like it that. It was a plethora of... Yes. So, I thought I would continue today with another alien story. What is the story, you may ask? I am full of energy right now, and I'm not sure why, but we're going to roll with that. All right. So, like you. I know. <laughs> usually, I'm like, okay, we're here. And it's usually when, I'm have, when I have a topic. So. I, hope, I hope I'm not being too loud. That's what I'm concerned about. But you, know, you know what my attitude is about being too loud? Fuck it. So, do you... I break out on my eyebrows a lot. It's probably I, that happens to me, too. All right. And so, it, they hurt, too, right? Yeah, I know. Okay, so I thought I would do a very special yes. one to the pro-alien um, community, which I am... Right here. Which we are, yes, respectfully a part of. You know, you don't get respectfully. a... You don't get a, like a like a lapel or anything like that. But no. you, you just... You get the, the chance to say I you mean, are. You know, a sticker would be nice. That'd be kind of cool. Least, at least. Yeah. So... Without showing, okay. What did you just? I, I almost did, but I don't want to. Okay, so what? When you think of alien stories, what type of stories do you think of? A lot. I mean, they can. I mean, what is an alien? Is the question. Okay. Well. Okay. An Roswell, experience. An experience with an extraterrestrial. Yep, Give me. Roswell, what do you think? Okay. Um, no, no, no. Okay, not like specific ones, like types. Types. Yeah, like types. Okay, like abductions uh-huh. and. Um, Dreams, maybe. Um, well, like see, like sightings yeah, and stuff and like that. Sightings okay. and. What do you think? The creepiest ones are in the woods. Yes. Place. What do you think I'm going to be talking about today? Abduction. We've never talked about an abduction. You're right. It's our first abduction. It is, in fact, one is of the most really? famous UFO cases of all time, and perhaps the most famous abduction story of all time. Ooh. Have you ever heard of Barney and Betty Hill? No. Barney and Betty Hill were an American couple who claimed they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire from September 19th to 20, from September 19th to the 20th, 1961. It was the first widely republicized report of an alien abduction in the U.S. Why are they always in rural areas, too? Yeah, I don't know. Why can't they do, like, an Independence Day kind of thing where they just go over to every single, you know, capital city all over the world, but not destroy it, that... I don't want that. Just, I don't know. Anyways, go ahead. All right. So the incident <laughs> came to be called the Hill Abduction and the Zeta Reticuli Reduction. Uh, sorry, Zeta Reticuli Incident because the couple stated they had been kidnapped by aliens who claimed to be from the Zeta Reticuli system. I think what it's is Reticuli. That? What are, uh, Reticuli? Yeah. Okay, well, what is that? Well, it's a source. No. What? No, you. Oh, Hey Jackson, what mm-hmm. is what is that? It 
It's a bi wide binary star system in the southern constellation of Reticulum. From the southern Reticulum. hemisphere, the pair can be seen with the naked eye as a double star in a very dark skies. Based upon parallax measurements, this system is located at a distance of about 39.3 light years, or 12 parsecs, from Earth. Both stars are solar analogs that have ca characteristics similar to those of the sun. They belong to the Zeta Hercules... Oh, it's Hercules. Oh, no, that's a different one. Zeta-Hercules Zeta moving group of stars that share a common origin. So. So it's a solar system. No, I think it's still in our galaxy. So No, uh, there's thousands of solar systems in our galaxy, is there not? I don't that's know. A totally, that's a different scale. Okay, location of... Oh, these are some symbols I do not understand. Const it's in the constellation Reticulum. Retic Reticulum. Reticulum. Okay. Yeah, it's in the it's associated with the constellation Reticulum. Where is it circled? Oh, okay. So if you're looking at Reticulum, it's to the right. What? <laughs> we're all looking at Reticulum. <laughs> Not like right now, but like if you ever see if you were like, oh my god, there's Reticulum, look to your right, there's Zeta Reticuli. Okay. So <laughs> there's the closest um like life-giving star is to us right now? Mm. Alpha Centauri. Okay. Could be aliens there, too. Go ahead. All right. So their story was adapted into the best-selling 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey, and the 1975 television movie, The UFO Incident. In t September 2016, plans were announced to make a film based on the events with an unknown release date. Fun fact, before I read about this, because I know this is true, in American Horror Story Asylum... Haven't seen it. Um, Evan Peters' character is a is a Caucasian, and he's married to a African American girl, and she gets abducted by aliens, or they both do, and then he comes back, and he goes to the asylum because he thinks he's crazy. Um, Benny Barney Hill was a African American man, and Betty Hill was a Caucasian female. Uh. And that'll come into play later. So, uh, background: the Hills lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney Barney died. Young. Barney died when he was only 46. So huh. 19, 1969. That's crazy. Oops. Um, was employed by the USPS, while Betty was a social worker. Active in the local Unitarian congregation, the Hills were also members of the NAACP and community leaders, and Barney sat on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. They ran into a racial couple, as I stated, uh, when it was particularly uncommon in the U.S., Yes. So according to a variety, strap in, this is a, a long one. According to, thank you, according to a variety of reports given by the Hills, the alleged UFO sighting happened on September 19th, 1961, around 10.30 p.m. The Hills were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls and Montreal. Just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the sun and the planet Jupiter upward to the west of the moon. While Barney navigated U.S. Route 3, Betty reasoned that she was observing a fallen star, only it moved upward. Since it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, as well as to walk their dog, Delcy. Barney stopped at a scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. Betty looked through binoculars, observed an odd-shaped craft flashing multicolored light lights travel across the face of the moon. Because her sister had several years earlier said she's seen a flying saucer, Betty thought it might be what she was observing. Through binoculars, Barney observed what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling toward Vermont on its way to Montreal. However, 
He soon changed his mind because without looking as if he as if it had turned, the craft rapidly descended in its direction, in his direction. This observation caused Barney to realize this object was that was a plane was not a plane. They quickly returned to their car and drove toward Franconia Notch, a narrow mountainous stretch of the road. The hills claimed that they continued driving on the isolated road, moving very slowly through Franconia Notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant and signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and came out near the old man of the mountain, which is a... um, it was a series of five granite cliff edges in New Hampshire. Oh, it's apparently no longer a thing. Huh. It collapsed in 2003. That sucks. Yeah. So Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length of a granite cliff profile, which is about 40 feet long, and that it seemed to be rotating. The couple watched as the silent, illuminated craft move erratically and bounced back and forth in the night. Approximately one mile south of Indian Head, they said, the object rapidly ascended toward their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The huge silent craft hovered approximately 80 to 100 feet above the hills' 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air and filled the entire field of view in the windshield. It reminded Barney of a huge pancake. Carrying his pistol in his pocket, he stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object. Using binoculars, Barney claimed to have seen about 8 to 11 humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's window, seeming to look at him. In unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red lights on what appeared to be bat wing fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. The silent craft approached to what Barney estimated was within 50 to 80 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. On October 21st, 1961, Barney reported to National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP, investigator Walter Webb, that the beings were somehow not human. Barney tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to his car. In a near hysterical state, he told Betty, they're going to capture us. He saw the object again shift its location to directly above the vehicle. He drove away at a high speed, telling Betty to look for the object. She rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they said seemed to bounce off the trunk of their car. The car vibrated, and a tingling sensation passed through the hills' bodies. The hills said that they, that then they experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned the couple to full consciousness. They found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles south, but had only vague, spotty memories of this section of road. They recalled making a sudden, unplanned turn encountering a roadblock and observing a fiery orb in the road. Arriving home at about dawn, the hills assert that they had some odd sensations and impulses they could not readily explain. Betty insisted their luggage be kept near the back door rather than in the main part of the house. Their watches would never work again. Barney said the leather strap of the binoculars was torn, though he could not recall tearing it. Toes of his best dress shoes were scrapped. Barney said he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, that they, though he found nothing unusual. It took long showers to remove possible contamination, and each drew a picture of what they had observed. Perplexed, the Hills say they tried to reconstruct the chron- chronology of events as they witnessed the UFO and drove home. 
but immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothes she had worn during the drive into her closet, observing that the dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. Later, when she retrieved the items from her closet, she noted a pinkish powder on her dress. She hung the dress on her clothesline, and the pink powder blew away, but the dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, but then changed her mind, retrieving the dress and hanging it in her closet. Over the years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress. But uh, it doesn't say anything about it. Hmm. There were shiny, concentric circles on their car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Betty and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it it close to the spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. When they moved away, it would just drop down. Or it it would stop. (sighs) It's a lot. So September 21st, Betty telephoned Pease Air Force Base to report their UFO encounter, though for fear of being labeled eccentric, she withheld some of the details. September 22nd, Major Paul W. Henderson telephoned the Hills for a more detailed interview. Henderson's report, dated September 26th, determined the Hills had probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. This was later changed to optical condition, inversion, and insufficient data. Report 10161 Air Intelligence Information Record. Uh, his report was forwarded to Project Blue Book, which is a, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. the U.S. Air Force's UFO research project. Within days of the encounter, Betty borrowed a UFO book from a local library. It had been written by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe, who was also the head of an NICAP, a civilian UFO research group. September 26th, Betty wrote to Kehoe. She related the full story, including the details about the humanoid figure that Barney had observed through binoculars. Betty wrote that she and Barney were considering hypnosis to help recall what happened. Her letter was eventually passed on to Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer and NICAP member. Uh, Webb met with the Hills on October 21st, 1961. In a six-hour interview, the Hills related all they could remember of the encounter. Barney asserted that he had developed a sort of mental block and that he suspected there were some portions of the event that he did not wish to remember. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the appearance of the somehow not human figures aboard the craft. Webb stated that they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observations where human judgment... That's what they drew... Oh, really? Yeah. That's creepy. Save that. I did. Unless Um, he's got a hat on. Anyways. In any such (laughs) observations where human judgment is involved, uh, example, exact time and length of visibility, apparent sizes of object occupants, distance and height of object, etc. Whew. You're doing great. Thank you. Thoughts so far? Um... I've I've seen the pictures of the crafts that uh of the craft that they saw those arms that come out. I think that was just the door. Well, there's two the, of them. Well, he said those. He said that the um. Oh, the mic's away. Sorry, I was drinking water. He said that as the fit the wings came out like a like a ramp oh, came yeah. down. So I think it was like the doors. But if that's his actual drawing, then yeah. maybe it maybe it was just like a Let's really see big what it door. Says. Um, hold on, let me. This is. Okay. This is how it looked when it was about 200 feet high. So it's like a flying saucer. Of course, it's spinning probably. Um, red lights on on the sides. Um, and then the, the other part says this is how it looked after shifting over the highway 
descending to about 100 feet over the field, which it's got those span or whatever they are. It doesn't look like like the doors, though. Mm. You want to hear about some dreams? I'm going to pin this this slid out from the side with red light. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, let's hear some dreams. All right. So, 10 days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began having a series of vivid dreams. They continued for five successive nights. Never in such her memory had she recalled dreams in such detail and intensity, but they stopped abruptly after five nights and never returned. They occupied her thoughts during the day, and when she finally did mention them to Barney, he was sympathetic but not too concerned, and the matter was dropped. Betty did not mention them to Barney again. In November of the same year, Betty began writing down the details of her dreams. In one dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded their car. She lost consciousness but struggled to regain it. She then realized that they were being forced by two small men to walk in a forest in the nighttime and of seeing Barney walk behind her, though when she called to him, he seemed to be in a trance or sleepwalking. The men stood about 5 feet to 5 feet 4 inches tall and wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by military cadets. They appeared nearly human, with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips. Their skin color was sort of grayish. The grays. That's a type of alien. Mm -hmm. In the dreams, Betty, Barney, and the men walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped craft of metallic appearance. Once inside, Barney and Betty were separated. She protested and was told by a man she called the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take much longer to conduct the exams. She and Barney were then taken to separate rooms. Betty then dreamt that a new man, similar to the others, entered entered to conduct her exam with the leader. Betty called this new man the examiner and said that he had a pleasant, calm manner. Though the leader and the examiner spoke to her in English, the examiner's command of the language seemed imperfect and she had difficulty understanding him. The examiner told Betty that he would conduct a few tests to note the difference between humans and the craft's occupants. He seated her on a chair and a bright light was shown on her hair. The man cut off a lock of Betty's hair. He examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat, and hands. He saved trimmings from her fingernails. After examining her legs and feet, the man used a dull knife, similar to a letter opener, to scrape some of her skin onto what resembled cellophane. He then tested her nervous system, and he thrust the needle into her navel, which caused Betty agonizing pain, whereupon the leader waved his hand in front of her eyes, and the pain vanished. The examiner left the room, and Betty engaged in conversation with the leader. She picked up a book with rows of strange symbols that the leader said she could take home with her. She also asked from where he came, and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. In Betty's dream account, the men began escorting the hills from the ship when a disagreement broke out. The leader then informed Betty that she couldn't keep the book, stating that they had decided that the other men did not want her to even remember the encounter. Betty insisted that no matter what they did to her memory, she would one day recall the events. She and Barney were taken to their car, where the leader suggested they wait to watch the craft's departure. They did so, then resumed the drive. So, on November 25th, same year, the Hills were again interviewed at length by NICAP members, this time C.D. Jackson and Robert E. Homan. Although the Hills had noted that they had arrived home later than anticipated, the drive should have taken about four hours, 178 miles. They claimed not to have realized that they arrived home seven hours after their departure from Colebrook. When Homan and Jackson noted this discrepancy to the hills, the couple had no explanation, um, a phenomenon UFO ufologists call missing time. 
The Hills claim to recall almost nothing of the 35 miles of U.S. Route 3 between Lincoln slash Indian Head and Ashland. Both claim to recall an image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. Betty and Barney reasoned that they had been that it had been the moon, but Homan and Jackson informed them that the moon had set earlier in the evening. The subject of hypnosis came up, and it was decided that it should be carried out in order to elicit previously irretrievable memories. Barney was ap- apprehensive about hypnosis, but thought it might help Betty put to rest what Barney described as the nonsense about her dreams. By February 1962, the Hills were making frequent weekend drives to the White Mountains, hoping that revisiting the site might spark more memories. They weren't successful in trying to locate the site where they observed the fiery orb sitting in the road. However, they were able to eliminate several possible routes. They found what they claimed was the capture site on Labor Day weekend in 1965. So on November 23, 1962, the Hills attended a meeting at the parsonage of their church where they invited guest speaker, where, where the invited guest speaker was Captain Ben H. Sweet, Sweat of the U, United States Air Force, who had recently published a book of poetry. After he read selections of his poetry, the pastor asked him to discuss his personal interest in hypnosis. After the meeting broke up, the Hills approached Captain Sweat privately and told them what they could remember of the strange encounter. He was particularly interested in the missing time of the Hills account. The Hills asked Sweat if he would hypnotize them to recover their memories, but Sweat said he was not qualified to do that and cautioned them against going to an amateur hypnotist such as himself. He's an amateur hypnotist as well? I'm guessing. Along with a poet? And a captain in the USAF. It's not as big as being a poet and an amateur hypnotist. Well, obviously, but... (laughs) Huh. So I think... You're not done? There's a lot more. Oh, jeez. I'll save my theory for the end. So. How much more is there? A lot. Really? Oh, yeah. On March 3rd, 1963, the Hills first publicly discussed the UFO encounter with the group at their church. On September 7th, the same year, Captain Sweat returned and gave a formal lecture on hypnosis to a meeting at the Unitarian Church. The lecture, the Hills told him that Barney was going to a psychiatrist, a Mr. Stevens, whom he liked and trusted. Captain Sweat suggested that Barney ask Stevens about the use of his hypnosis in case, in this case, about the use of hypnosis in his case. When Barney next met with Stevens, he asked about hypnosis. Stevens referred him to Benjamin Simon of Boston. You can't hold so it. So on November 3rd of 1963, the Hills spoke before an amateur UFO study group, the two-state UFO study group in Quincy Center, Massachusetts. The Hills first met Simon, Benjamin Simon, Benjamin. Boston, on December 14, 1963. Early yes. in their discussions, Simon determined that the UFO encounter was causing Barney to far more worry and anxiety than he was willing to admit. Though Simon dismissed the popular extraterrestrial hypothesis as impossible, it seemed obvious to him that the Hills genuinely thought they had witnessed a UFO with human-like occupants. Simon hoped to uncover more about the experience through hypnosis. It's time to get into the sessions. So Simon began hypnotizing the Hills on January 4th, 1964. He hypnotized Betty and Barney several times each, and the sessions lasted until June 6th the same year. Simon conducted the the sessions on Barney and Betty separately so they could not overhear one another's recollections. At the end of each session, he reinstated amnesia. I don't know how hypnotism works, but apparently it's a thing. So Simon hypnotized Barney first. Did y'all not have a hypnotist for graduation? No. Oh, we didn't. didn't have anything. 
His recall of witnessing non-human figures was quite emotional, punctuated with expressions of fear, emotional outbursts, and incredulity. Incredulity. I-N-C-R-E-D-U-L-I-T-Y. Barney Barney said that due to his fear, he kept his eyes closed for much of the abduction and physical examination. Based on these early responses, Simon told Barney that he would not remember the hypnosis sessions until he was certain he could remember them without being further traumatized. Under hypnosis, as was consistent with his conscious recall, Barney reported that the binocular strap had broken when he ran from the UFO back to his car. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but that afterwards he felt irresistibly compelled to pull off the road and drive into the woods. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road. The car stalled, and three of the men approached the car. They told Barney not to fear them. He was still anxious, however, and he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. Hypnotized, he said, "I felt like the eyes had pu- I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes." Barney described the beings as genuinely similar to Betty's hypnotic, not dream, recollection. The beings often stared into his eyes, said Barney, with a terrifying, mesmerizing effect. Under hypnosis, Barney said things like, Oh, those eyes, they're there in my brain, from his first hypnosis session. And, I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine, and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes, from his second hypnosis session. And all I see are those eyes. I'm not even afraid that that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. Barney related that he and Betty were taken onto a disc-shaped craft where they were separated. He was escorted to a room by three of the men and told to lie on a small rectangular exam table. Unlike Betty, Barney's narrative of the exam was less detailed as he continued to keep his eyes closed for most of the exam. A cup... Okay, this is going to go a little PG-13. Oh, God. A cup-like device was placed over his genitals. He did not experience an orgasm, though Barney thought that a sperm sample had been taken. The men scraped his skin and peered his eyes, peered in his eyes and mouth. A thin tube or cylinder was inserted into his anus and quickly removed. Someone felt his spine oh, and seemed to be probed. Someone felt his spine and seemed to be counting his vertebrae. Betty reported a conversation with the leader that she understood in English. Barney said that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language he did not understand, yet he also understood them in English. Betty also mentioned this detail. A few times they communicated with him. Barney said it seemed to be through transference, and that and at that time he would he was unfamiliar with the word telepathy. Both Betty and Barney stated that they hadn't observed the being's mouse move moving when they communicated in English with them. He recalled being escorted from the ship, taken to his car. In a daze, he watched the ship leave. Barney remembered a light appearing on the road, and he said, "Oh no, not again." He recalled Betty's speculation that the light might have been the moon, though the moon had set several hours earlier. He also stated that he attempted to produce the code-like buzzing sounds, which seemed to strike the car's trunk a second time by driving from side to side and stopping and starting the vehicle. His attempt was unsuccessful. (sighs) So for Betty's sessions. Under hypnosis, Betty's account was similar to the event of her five dreams about the UFO, but there were also notable differences, mainly pertaining to her capture and release. The technology on the craft was different. The short man had a significantly different physical appearance from that of her dreams, the sequential order of the abduction account event was also different from Betty's dream. Barney's and Betty's memories and hypnotic regression were consistent with one another, but contradicted some of the information in Betty's dreams. Betty exhibited considerable emotional distress during her capture examination. Simon ended, ended one session early because tears were flowing down her cheeks and she appeared distressed. 
Simon gave Betty the post-hypnotic suggestion that she could sketch a copy of the star map that she later described as a three-dimensional projection similar to a hologram. Eventually, she did what Simon suggested. Although she said the map had many stars, she only drew those that stood out in her memory. Her map consisted of 12 prominent stars connected by lines and three lesser ones that form a distinctive triangle. I'll show you. She said that she was told the stars connected by solid lines formed... She said that... She said she was told the stars connected by solid lines formed trade routes, whereas dashed lines were less were to less traveled stars. Like um, alien alien trafficking or people trafficking, but it's with aliens? I don't know. That's creepy. So after the hypnosis sessions, Barney speculated that Bar Simon speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's. Simon thought it was the most reasonable, consistent explanation. Barney rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there were also portions of both their narratives that were unique to each. Barney was now ready to accept that he had been abducted by the occupants of a UFO, though he never embraced it as fully as Betty did. Though the Hills and Simon disagreed about the nature of the, cause, the case, they all concurred that the hypnosis sessions were effective. The Hills were no longer tormented by anxiety and uh, by anxiety about their experience. After, Simon wrote an article about the Hills for the journal Psychiatric Opinion, explaining his conclusions that the case was a singular psychological aberration. So, the Hills went back to the regular lives. They were willing to discuss the alleged UFO encounters with their friends, family, and the occasional UFO researcher, but the Hills apparently made no effort to seek publicity. This right here is a fucking key point for skeptics to be like, oh, they did it for publicity. No, there's evidence that they didn't. You know, if they did it, if they wanted to make this up, they wouldn't have waited three years to even have a hypnosis session about it. <clears throat> so, October 25th, 1965, a front page story in the Boston Traveler asked, UFO chiller, did they seize couple? Reporter John H. Luttrell of the Traveler had allegedly been given an audio tape recording of the lecture the Hills had made in Quincy Center in late 63. Luttrell learned that the Hills... My nose is itchy. I keep scratching my nose. It's itchy. (laughs) Luttrell learned that the Hills had undergone hypnosis with Simon. He also obtained notes from confidential interviews that the Hills had given to UFO investigators. On October 26th, United Press International picked up Luttrell's story, and the Hills earned international attention. In 1966, writer John G. Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and Simon and wrote the book The Interrupted Journey about the case. The book included a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map. The book was quite a success and went through several printings. Later in life, Betty claimed to have seen UFOs a number of times after the initial abduction, and she became a celebrity in the UFO community. Um, Unfortunately, Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage on February 25th, 1969, and Betty Hill died of cancer on October 17, 2004, and never remarried. So in 1968, Marjorie Fish of Oak Harbor, Ohio, read Fuller's Interrupted Journey. She was an elementary school teacher and amateur astronomer. Intrigued by the star map, Fish wondered if it might be deciphered to determine which star system the UFO came from. Assuming that one of the 15 stars on the map must represent Earth's sun, Fish constructed a three-dimensional model of nearby sun-like stars, i.e. stars deemed to have characteristics that could support life such as that found on Earth using thread and beads, basing stellar distances on those published in the 1969 Gleese Star Catalog, which is a 
It's a modern star catalog of stars located within 25 parsecs of the Earth. Fish sent her analysis to Webb. Uh, Agreeing with her conclusions, Webb sent the map to Terrence Dickinson, editor of the popular magazine Astronomy. Ooh. Dickinson did not endorse Fish and Webb's conclusions, but for the first time in the journal's history, Astronomy invited comments and debate on a UFO report, starting with an opening article in the December 1974 issue. For about a year afterward, the opinions page of Astronomy carried arguments for and against Fish's star map. Notable was an argument made by Carl Sagan and Stephen Sauter. I believe those are both skeptics. I've heard Carl, Carl Sagan, Sagan before. Yeah, that Who maybe that? he's maybe he's not a skeptic. Maybe it's Steven Sauter. I don't know. Uh, they argued that the star map was little more than a random alignment of chance points. In an episode of Cosmos in 1980, Sagan demonstrated that without the lines drawn in the map, the Hills map bore no resemblance to real life map to the to the real life map. In contrast. Those more favorable to a map, such as David Saunders, a statistician who had been on the Condon UFO study, oh, that's a future topic, argued that unusual alignments of the key sun-like stars in a plane centered around Zeta Reticuli was statistically improbable to have happened by chance from a random group of stars in our immediate neighborhood. So before I keep going, this is um, Fish's interpretation of the star map. Oh. Alpha Centauri on there. What? Alpha Centauri. Was it? Was it? Oh, hold on. I'm sending you this for the post, so hold on real quick. It's going to be a lot of pictures. Is Alpha Centauri on here? Well, if you're sending it to me, I can find it. Mm, Alpha Men- Mense is. and there, So there's Sol, so that's uh, Earth. That's our sun, I think. In the early 1990s, the European Hipparchos Higher Precision Parallax Collecting Satellite Mission, which measured the distances to more than 100,000 stars around the sun more accurately than ever before, showed that some of the stars in Fish's interpretation of the map were in fact much further away than previously thought. Other research revealed that some stars counted by Fish as likely to host life would have had to be excluded by her own criteria, while some other stars which had been discounted by fish, have been recognized as potential abodes for life. Results such as these led Fish to herself to reject her hypothesis in a public statement. So, in 1966, publication of... in the, ni- the 1966 publication of Interrupted Journey by John G. Fuller details much of the Hill's claims. Excerpts of the book were published in Look Magazine, and the book went on to sell many copies and greatly publicized the Hill's account. Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience by Kathleen Martin, further explored Fuller's themes along with scientist Stanton T. Friedman. Martin, who was Betty Hill's niece, knew Betty well and had spoken with her at great length about the encounter. She also examined all the historical records and scientific reports pertaining to the case and transcribed the Hills' hypnosis sessions with Benjamin Simon for her detailed comparative analysis. So... Okay, this is the last little bit, but it's about the... um, It's about uh, refutations. So psychiatrists later suggested that the supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in early 1960s United States. 
That's a dumbass hallucination you would get from stress, especially if stressing that. Betty discounts the suggestion, noting her relationship with Barney was happy. Boom! And their interracial marriage caused no notable problems with their friends or family. Psychiatrist, you're stupid. As noted in the interrupted journey, Don't Simon... Don't you want to be a psychiatrist? No. Oh. Maybe later, I don't know. Simon, as noted in the interrupted journey, Simon thought that the Hills marital status had nothing to do with the UFO encounter. Skeptic blogger Brian Dunning, um, he's a he's a scientific skepticism. Yes. So he just is skeptic about everything or something. And he gets paid for it. I don't know. Oh, he has since been convicted of wire fraud through a cooking stuffing a cookie stuffing scheme. So I don't believe anything he says, but we'll read it. So he noted that the hypnosis sessions occurred over two years after the reported abductions, which afforded the couple plenty of time to discuss their encounter. Who the fuck plans something for two years and then doesn't make any money off of it? Dunning, you're stupid. <laughs> he concluded the Hill's inventive tale from the mind of a lifelong UFO fanatic. They're... Is, support, is unsupported by any useful evidence and is perfectly consistent with the pure natural with the purely natural explanation. He added that a timeline analysis of the two Air Force radar sightings from that night in the Project Blue Book record shows that neither correlated with the Hill's story. The Air Force concluded that both targets were probably weather balloons. It's always a weather balloon. Mm-hmm. In his 1990 article, Entirely Unpredisposed, Martin Kottmeyer suggests that the Barney's memories revealed under hypnosis might have been influenced by an episode of the science fiction television show The Outer Limits, titled The Bolero Shield, which was broadcast about two weeks before Barney's first hypnotic session. The episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who says, In all the universes and all the unities beyond the universe, all who have eyes have eyes that speak. The report that the from the regression featured a scenario that was in some respects similar to the television show. In part, Kottmeyer wrote, <sighs> Wraparound eyes are an extreme rarity in science fiction films. I only know of one instance. They appeared on an alien on the alien of an episode of an old TV series, The Outer Limits, entitled The Bolero Shield. A person familiar with the Bar with Barney's sketch and the interpreted interrupted journey, and the sketch done in collaboration with the artist David Baker, will find a frisson of deja vu creeping up his spine when seeing this episode. The resemblance is much abetted by an absence of ears, hair, and nose on both aliens. Could it be by chance? Consider this. Barney first described and drew the wraparound eyes during the hypnosis session dated 22nd February 1964. The Bolero Shield was first broadcast on 10th of February 1964. Only 12 days separate the two instances. If the identification is admitted, the commonness of wraparound eyes in the abduction literature falls to culture forces. cultural forces. When a different researcher asked Betty about the outer limits, she insisted she had never heard of it. Kottmeyer also pointed out that some motifs in the Hills' account were present in the 1953 film Invaders from Mars. A careful analysis of Barney's description of the non-human entities that he observed reveals significant similarities between the Bifrost Man and Barney's descriptive details. One must also take into account Barney's conscious, continuous recall of the entities he observed on the hovering craft. They were dressed in black, shiny uniforms, and were somehow non-human. Jim McDonald, a resident of the area in which the Hills claimed to have been abducted, has produced a detailed analysis of their journey, which concludes that the episode was provoked by their misperceiving an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. McDonald notes that from the road the Hills took, 
The beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same time the Hills describe the UFO as appearing and disappearing. The remainder of the experience is ascribed to stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories recovered, quote-unquote, under hypnosis. After reading McDonald's recreation, recreation, uh, UFO expert Robert Sheffer notes that the writes that the Hills are the poster children for not driving when sleep deprived. McDonald's articles, McDonald's article focuses primarily on the Hills' observations of the light in the sky and the timing of the journey, discounting the Hills' accounts of close encounters south of Cannon Mount as recovered memories. Skeptical Inquirer columnist Robert Schaefer wrote. I was present at the National UFO Conference in New York City in 1980, in which Betty presented some of the UFO photos she had taken. She showed what must have been well over 200 slides, mostly of blips, blurs, and blobs against a dark background. These were supposed to be UFOs coming in close, chasing a car, landing, etc. After her talk had exceeded about twice as a lot of time, Betty was literally jeered off the stage by what had been, at first, a very sympathetic audience. This incident, witnessed by many of UFOlogy's leaders and top activists, Remove any lingering doubts about cre- Betty's credibility. She had none. 1995, she wrote a self-published book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. It is filled with obviously delusional stories, such as a seeing entire squadrons of UFOs in flight and a truck levitating above the highway. Hmm. Uh, Schaefer later wrote that as late as 1977, Betty Hill would go on UFO vigils at least three times a week. During one evening, she was joined by UFO enthusiast John Oswald, when asked about Betty's continuing UFO observations, Oswald stated, She is not really seeing UFOs, but she is calling them out. On the night they went out together, Miss Hill was unable to distinguish between a landed UFO and a streetlight. <coughs> In a later interview, Schaefer recounts that Betty Hill wrote, UFOs are a new science, and our science cannot explain them. Uh, he released, Schaefer released 48 pages of archived documents relating to Betty and Barney Hill, Benjamin F- Simon, and Philip J. Class on the internet on December 23rd, 2015. Mm. That's it. Hmm. It's a lot of refutals. Ref- refutals? Refutals? Yeah. So, very polarizing. It is. In terms of what happened. It's a lot of, it's a lot of information. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, uh, the one thing that really stuck with me is the fact that Barney got probed. Um, but going beyond that, I think, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a possibility that they really got abducted, and the fact that, like, during like, when it happened, when it happened. Um, like they were in like a semi-conscious state and then they end up somewhere so like however far away it was, 30 miles or mm-hmm. so. And then the fact that they dream like a couple nights later or for the next five nights that they basically dream out the whole scenario like... Well, she does. Yeah. Um, I think that she was dreaming about what actually happened mm-hmm. and, um, well that's what she recounted yeah yeah um i don't know anything about that orb um thing but um this is uh, this also brought me to a theory about just aliens in general mm. um 
because they, on multiple accounts, they called these aliens that they encountered human-like. And then I was like, why, why would aliens be human-like? But then I got to a theory of space alien evolution. How aliens are all beings in one galaxy take after one another. Like, they sort of have the same characteristics and traits. Mm-hmm. If you go to a different galaxy, they could be completely different. This is true? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what I was thinking about during all this. Definitely a cool story. That's for sure. It is. Yeah. It was known as, like, kind of the first... Popular abduction but story? Just the first abduction story in the U.S. Yeah. So, what do you think? You think that actually happened? You think they got abducted that night? I feel like there needs to be, like, more tangible evidence than drawings and stuff and Mm -hmm. stories. But it's definitely very intriguing. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying I need more. That is true. Yeah. I... I want to believe. As I hadn't right heard here. that story in a long time. So I was like super hopeful. But then like hearing about all that stuff about Betty from like people who like are pro like UFO and stuff like that, discrediting her. Yeah. It's making me, making me question it. Uh, she couldn't differentiate a spot or a street light from a UFO. That's the thing. It's kind of like ghost hunting because... I mean, ghost adventures and like all them will take celebrities out to go ghost hunting, and then they'll just find nothing. Just trying to get other people like. Well, I don't know the episode of Post Malone. He saw some shit and he yeah. ran. He talked about that on the Joe Rogan podcast. He said he's real fucked up afterwards. Spooky. Because they they were about to open the Dybbuk box. Too. Yeah. Um, that would be yeah. I'd be like Zach no. <laughs> Anyways, back to aliens. Bagel man, no. <laughs> no. All right, so you yeah, don't. It's fifty-fifty with me. It's a toss-up. Mm. I want to believe. Mm-hmm. I do too. Yeah. But the past few alien stories, I'm like, hell yeah. But this one, I don't know. This one is a little interesting. I think. Poss- I think there is a possibility that they got abducted. But I think that the idea that, or no, I think that the the continuation of sort of like self-obsessing over it in terms of Betty's sense has negatively affected it. Because, like, Barney, you know, he had his feelings about it. He kept it quiet. He still had his head on his shoulders. Yeah, he had, like, his... He dealt with it, and it kind of, like... It affected him severely, and then he got over it, and then he he would talk about it, but he wouldn't, like, go everywhere and, like, become, like, a giant enthusiast. I think Betty maybe just, like, wanted to see it again, but because of the constant repetitiveness of it, she is kind of discredited. Yeah her experiences 
So I think it's too... Too close. Yeah. Ooh. Too close. Uh, too, not too close to say, but too... Too much of a toss-up. Do I want to believe it? Yeah. Of course. Totally. Do I believe it? 65-35. No, 60-40. I'll do 60-40. Yeah, I'm probably 55-45. I'm probably Wait. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> well, is there anything, any, anything else? Um, they're probably making human-like aliens with the sperm that they stole from Barney. Well, he doesn't know if that actually happened. He thought. Well, they put a thing over his... Oh, he thought. What would you think? Would If someone put a cup over your pee-pee and you're like, wait, this is weird. I'd, I'd spend my my days after the abduction looking in the bedroom mirror of my genitals. Much like yeah, did. much like Marty did. I'd be like, wow. <laughs> I, think it, I think it looks smaller. <laughs> did they... Is that mine or is that someone else's? Did they replace my people? It's a different color <laughs> and shorter, but nah, it's just my eyes. I've never really looked at my penis, so who am I to tell? I, <laughs> that'd be kind of funny, though. It's a good idea, it's Cam. Just, it's just, he's, he's completely, he's just like, just completely African-American. And then it's just white. <laughs> it's like shit. <laughs> well, that something happened, uh, Betty. <laughs> Betty, uh, this hasn't been always like that, has it? That'd be pretty funny. But yeah, in all seriousness, um, yeah, sixty forty. It, it's a toss up. There's not. Betty probably lost it when Barney died. Maybe that could have that could have affected it. A lot of stuff could have. That affected wasn't it. too long after. It wasn't. It was a sixty dollar. Yeah. He was only alive yeah. for eight years after he got abducted. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that video of the cat getting hit by the ceiling fan? No. no. Anyways, yeah. Um. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. Um. I think this is going up today uh, on Thursday. So, you, happy Thursday if you're today. listening. Yeah, today technically. Um. Yeah, thank you all for Whatever listening. Whatever day it is, this is going to be up today. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Where can they find us on Instagram? Uh, you can find us at nightswims.podcast. That is at the at sign, N-I-G-H-T-S-S, wait, <laughs> N-I-G-H-T-S-W-I-M-S dot as in a period podcast, P O D. C A S T. Yes. You think I misspelled that? I don't know. I think you did. I lost track. Podcast. Podcast. P O D C A S T. Yes. All right. Um, and join us next time when Douglas covers something that is probably underwhelming. Oh. Is it overwhelming? It's well. Medi- it's medium well. It's whelming. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to a very whelming episode. <laughs> It'll be, it. yeah, it'll be par, on par. Yeah. Real quick, before we go, I have something, I have a thought that I think every single person on Earth can agree with. Okay. Thursday and October are the same thing. Thursday and October are the same thing. Mm-hmm. No. 
The day Thursday. What color do you think of when? I, okay, October. What color? orange? Yes. Okay. What color? Science. Green. Green. Yeah. Okay, but no. Thursday and October are the same history? thing. All right. Let's say it on the same time. Ready? One, two, three. Yellow. yellow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but no. Thursday and October are the same thing. No. Yes. Because you're saying you're basically because December's Friday, right? No, December Saturday. November, no, December Sunday, November is Saturday. Saturday, Saturday evening. No, November can't no, be no. Saturday. November is Saturday afternoon to evening. No. And October is Thursday. But you can't compare the months like that because there's only seven days of the week. July's Friday. I can see that. Well, Monday? I, mean, I think Monday? I think hold you on, can't on, say on, that. You can't, you can't, this can't be a thing because... You got people all over the country in different parts. Like, you got to think of culture, geography, because some some people around here might think Friday is February. No way. Because of the Mardi Gras. No. No, it's just it's just a thought. It's like a feeling. What color is math? Three, two, one, blue. Red. Ooh, red. Yeah, because it's bad. <laughs> or I'm bad at it. No, I think blue. Blue? Yeah. I think geography is more of a blue. Mm -mm. Geography is like a yellow as well. Eh. So you pair it in with history. No, you just, you like, things would be different, the same colors. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. But you don't think October and Thursday are the same thing? No. No? October could be a Friday. Let me try to think of another one. That's like like two things that aren't related but can be super related yeah. to each other. Um, I'm trying to think of all the numbers. All the numbers? Not like all of them. Just, what do you mean? Just numbers in general. I don't know. What color's four? Ready? Think about it, and then I'll count. One, two, three, Red. blue. <laughs> see, I see blue. I see, I see, I, I, I see more of like a pink, pinkish, like magenta. Yeah, the magenta's like. Purple. Okay. What color is? See, now I'm just thinking of like a number, and I'm just going through all the colors. It's got to be quick. See, that's the issue with that. I don't know. Me neither. Okay, it, are there? Gosh, I, I, see, I just feel like Thursday is October. Eh, that's that's yeah. I don't know. I don't. That that can't be the same for everybody. But everybody can agree that history is yellow. Yellow. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that's the thing because we played trivia crack that game. No, no. I just always have thought the, that the science is green. Is yellow. Science is green. Science is green. Yeah. Math. I can see math being red. Yeah. Actually, I can see math being red. Yeah. What about? Um, you know what? Hold on, hold on. English, one, two, three. White. Purple. Really? Yeah. White? Yeah. I think purple. You know what this is, right? What? You know the old textbooks. Yeah, it's because we we're pairing our old textbooks yeah. together. Yeah. But like, you can also just like you can just kind of see the color green and think, oh, science. Yeah. Like that color goes with science. What's another uh, class? Um. Shoot. Art. Red. Every color. <laughs> I guess so. P.E. White. Yeah. It's because we had white P.E. shirts. Maybe. 
I'm trying to think of like every PE class I ha- I've had, I've worn a white shirt. Yeah. What? I don't really know. Oh, okay. Let's. No, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like other stuff. I was thinking, let's do food, but food is colorful, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, what? What day of the week is food? Uh, chickens every day. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, oh, uh, you know, um, a breakfast is Sunday. Breakfast, yeah, or yes. Saturday. Sunday. Lunch is Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. And then dinner isn't Friday. I think it's Saturday. I'd say dinner's Friday. Brunch. Brunch is Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Liner is Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and then okay. Your pre breakfast is Tuesday. <laughs> Dessert. Ooh, that has to be Saturday. That's a Saturday. Yeah. That's a Saturday. <laughs> and then... What's Monday? What is there anything that's Monday? Yeah. Taxes. Um, <laughs> is tech... No, tax day is a Thursday, is it No, not? but in general. Yeah. Like, is it if Thursday? you think taxes, you think... That's or a no, Monday. it's a Tuesday. I don't know. No. <laughs> taxes. I don't do my taxes. <laughs> I haven't done my taxes in August years. is Wednesday. Fuck August, man. January is it, it January's Monday, but when you have it off. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 February is is the is the Tuesday that you after you have off. I don't know cuz February is a nice month. No, but maybe February is just Tuesday but you have Monday. February is that Tuesday where, oh, man, I'm trying to think why you would have a Tuesday off. Well, of course, around here. But it's got to be universal, you know? Tuesday? No. Tu- okay. Let's go down the list. February can't be Tuesday. Not in my head. January, the Monday you have off after an extended weekend. So. Yes. Okay. Tuesday. Or, or February. Tuesday. I, I it's totally it's Tuesday. Tuesday. March, Tuesday. Yeah. April, Tuesday night. Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday, yeah. Uh, okay. So it usually rains in the afternoon. Yeah. May. Wednesday morning. Kind of Monday. Nah, Wednesday morning. No, I think it's of kind school. of Monday. It That's doesn't matter, though. I feel like kind it's... Kind of a Friday. Yeah, okay. Um, so it may... June? Tuesday. But it's... Uh, no. June's Tuesday. And June's a Tuesday. July I feel like I'm Friday. just skipping. I just can't put a month to a Tuesday. August, Wednesday. September? Wednesday. September just sucks. October is a Thursday. November, Saturday... Especially evening, December yeah. Sunday. December, December is a cold Saturday. December is a no, no. December is a is a Sunday night with nothing. With a, okay, so if January is the Monday you have off, set December is that Sunday. 
Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's real nice. Yeah. And you're like, it's oh, really nice. Like, I don't have to worry about anything tomorrow. I'm just going to enjoy this day. Yeah. Or it's that day where you're like, I don't have to worry about anything until tomorrow. No, because you have this Monday off. I know. That's so you don't have to worry about anything tomorrow. But the, the, the days after that Monday, you're like, oh, shit. I got work. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Tuesday. Yeah. December, December is Sunday, but you have Monday off. And then January is that Monday. Yeah. I think that's an accurate representation of all the days yeah. in the months. We tried. Thank God we did this at the end of our I podcast. Know. Well, if you're still listening. Dawson. <laughs> Unless he turned it off. All right, Dawson, if you're still listening, I want you to call Jackson right now and tell him what you think about these little things we did. These rankings of yes. days and months. Or no. no, yeah, It doesn't matter what time of the night it is either. Uh-oh. You can wake him up. Well, okay. Anyways. Don't wake me no, up. Anyways. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I got the hiccups. I feel like there's another thing we could... Put. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And we'll, right. we'll cover this in the next episode. Yes, yeah. If we find something. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. We'll see you all later. Yes. Bye-bye. Love you.